Vicky Saldala and Melissa Cabrera, welcome to a third edition of our In This Together docuseries from Broward County. Uh, Melissa, we're going to get to you very soon to get a sort of teacher's perspective of what's going on on the ground there in Broward. But I want to start with you, Vicky, um, and just ask a little bit about where you are right now. How is the situation on the ground with uh, the virus first? And then um, just as importantly, I know you've been having some meetings recently. What is going on with your remote slash hybrid in-person model? Have there been any changes, um, particularly in terms of those English learners or other vulnerable student populations? Hi, Steve. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the series. Um, and happy October to everybody. I'm glad to be back on and I'm glad to have invited Melissa to share some of her real life experiences as a teacher with our students. So where we are in Broward County? Well, Broward had an emergency meeting on Thursday. The school board did to vote on returning back. Our original plans were to return back to our schools on what we call e-learning phase two on October, uh, October the 20th. However, um, our commissioner of education in the state of Florida um, actually let notice or gave notice to the remaining districts that had not opened that we needed to open earlier. Um, now that the state of Florida had moved into phase three and was quickly moving into phase three, phase three of opening uh, the state of Florida. So uh, we had our emergency meeting on Thursday. Uh, our school board was a little reluctant to cave in to the demands of opening earlier than our anticipated date. Um, however, there was some financial uh, circumstances that would happen if we were choose to open late, right? So we did come to some agreement and our schools will be opening for our students and our teachers as soon as this week. Our teachers will be returning on Thursday as a teacher planning day. On Friday, October 9th, we will start opening up to certain grade levels, our early grades, pre-K, first, second, our self-contained ESD classrooms. Uh, Monday the 12th, we add additional grade levels. Tuesday, we add some more. Uh, Wednesday, we have an early release day. And by Thursday, all grade levels are welcome to come back into our school buildings. And Friday the 16th is early release again. And so our district decided to put in some early release days in the staggered schedule of our students returning so that it would give the schools the opportunity to readjust any processes that they had put into place um, and make those adjustments to make sure our kids were still safe and that our teachers were safe in the classrooms. Um, so that's how it's going to look in the next couple of days and upcoming. Our families had the opportunity to uh, choose if they wanted to return to the brick and mortar setting or if they wanted to remain in e-learning remotely. The reason we call it e-learning phase two is because the way we are delivering instruction is not changing. We will continue instructing via Canvas, via virtual setting, our laptops. Students are to bring their laptops to school. The difference is that they will be in a classroom with their teachers in the classroom, but the teachers will continue teaching in this environment with laptops. Uh, those students will just turn off their cameras because they're live with the teacher, but everything remains the same. Everything will continue being through Canvas. Um, a lot of the thinking behind that is, God forbid there is an emergency, you know, a teacher gets ill, students get ill, 
we have no interruption of instruction. The instruction remains the right. same as well as equity, right? So we want to make sure that this is equitable for all our students, whether they remained at home or they chose to come back to a brick and mortar setting. Everybody was receiving instruction in the same manner. So that's kind of where we are. Um, maybe by the time we do number four, I'll be able to give you more of an update. But I think our teachers are excited. Everyone is nervous and, and that is just normal. We've been away from our brick and mortar settings since March. Um, and, and so it's gonna take a little readjustment, but I know that we are prepared in Broward and our teachers are gonna give 100% again of themselves to our students. Wow, that's a, like, that's a big update. <laughs> Um, you just said you'd be able to tell me more in a couple of weeks, but you just told me a lot that, that, it, that seemed to happen. I mean, I know it's been a while since I spoke with you and this was a possibility, but you, it seems to be moving forward, you know, incredibly fast. Um, yes. I'm really, really appreciative and excited to have Melissa with us today because, um, you know, she's going to be one of the people sort of rolling all of this out and I give her and all of the others, uh, doing that a lot of credit. So why don't we actually take a second? Cause Melissa, um, we haven't even introduced you yet. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned, Vicki wanted to make sure that she got someone in here that was sort of working in the classroom and was could give that perspective. And I'm really happy to have you involved. So, Melissa, could you just tell us a little bit about sort of um, who you are and uh, where you teach and what you teach? And, and we'll take it from there. Sure. Um, first of all, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity um, to just be heard as a teacher. Um, it, it is a very important time for us to feel listen to and I appreciate that. I am Melissa Cabrera. I am the proud literacy coach of Cooper City High School um, and I also have the honor of teaching our developmental language arts uh, class. So it's by far, I know we're not supposed to have favorites, but it's definitely my, my favorite class to teach. That's okay to say. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, okay, so Melissa, I'm going to spend a lot of time talking with you. And Vicki, I'm going to invite you to, to sort of follow up anytime you want, um, if you have something to follow up with. Um, so Melissa, one thing Vicki and I have, have been talking a lot about um, is, is how students and teachers both are kind of reacting to remote learning. You know, Vicki just talked about how you are going back in person, but you're going to kind of maintain some of those instructional practices that are similar. But I'd love to hear your perspective on how English learners have been sort of acclimating to these new educational environments. And I guess I'll add to that, given what Vicki said, what do you think it will be like for them sort of coming back now after being at home for such a long time? I, acclimating is, is the word to use here. It's been a very difficult process um, to be completely transparent. And we need to be transparent in order for everyone to just have empathy for this group of students. Um, it has been extremely difficult for them to get used to this e-learning because they depend on one another as a group for survival in the school setting. They depend on being able to go, physically go to their teacher, go to the English learning lab and seek help and just be able to have the tools to advocate for themselves. And that's something that this new virtual um, learning ground has really just catapulted us into this land of we've never been here before. How do we continue to support without having the physical environment present? Um, so I, I want to say this group of kids, just resilience, 
they they are not shy to challenges and overcoming barriers. Um, they kind of just come into the school system ready to take it all on. So they've definitely welcomed all the challenges. It's just been incredibly difficult for them. And just acknowledging the fact that it's been difficult for them is a huge step in validating them as students. Yeah, and we've heard, I've heard many people talk about resilience and how important that is. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that resilience can conquer every single problem that we have. Uh, and those challenges um, still exist. Um, you know, the other thing that Vicky and I spent a lot of time talking about and, and all of the guests on In This Together have talked about, and I've heard more this year than I feel like I ever have, and that's um, building relationships with students and, and their families. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing you smile there because I'm sure <laughs> that you've heard a lot about it too. Um, I'd love to hear more about sort of what what has worked for you um, in this time of remote learning, thinking about when we were sort of, you know, trying to deal with this really acutely back in March to the fall now when we've had these plans put in place. Um, so what's worked and, and then where do we still need some support or where do you need support there as a teacher? So comparing March to where we are right now, we've just made so much progress as a district. We've gotten ourselves so organized district-wise, uh, school site-wise. It's just, it's been, it's been easier for us teachers to be able to do what we always have done, which is see where our students are, meet them where they are, and then build off of that. So when it comes to building the relationships with students, we have open house where we usually meet our parents and it's a very just welcoming environment. This year, everything was virtual. And then not only was everything virtual, but we have an existing language barrier there with many of our families. And in no way, shape or form am I saying that this is not time consuming or difficult, but this is what's worked for me. I have taken the time to meet almost all of my developmental language arts families. I have taken the time to seek out my ELO. I, we, by this time, we kind of know who our, our, our needy uh, students are, who, who just demand more of us. So just making sure we open those lines of communication and continuously keep them open. And whether it's making the parent comfortable enough to email me in another language, and I use Google Translate or the uh, Office 360 um, immersive reader to translate, it's, it's just allowing and giving them the space to be able to reach out. And I think that's made the biggest difference is, yes, we're, we're in a virtual space, we're in a virtual meeting, but the student is there, the parent is there, I'm over here and they just, they have a face to put to the name now and they know that there's a line of communication that they can use. That has been monumental for us. Not only has it been monumental getting uh, to know the family dynamics and how we can better serve our students, but using bookings on uh, Office 365, I taught myself how to use bookings when I, I, I hadn't seen bookings before. And now the students are able to make an appointment with me whether they need social emotional learning, they have social emotional needs, whether they need content area needs, whether they have a question about graduation, whatever it is, they can go in, book me, just time for us to just communicate and just to have support and to feel supported and to be heard and to be seen. And I think that, again, it, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of work, but I think that has been monumental. That, that's brought us here. That's where we are today. That wasn't the case in March. I can't sit here and, and say, but from March till now, it's just been an entire learning process and keeping those communication lines open, establishing those communication lines has been monumental in helping our students. 
Yeah, that's great. You just said, I want to hit on a couple things that you just said there, because I think there was a lot. And, you know, you talked about the evolution of between March and now, and I kind of teed that that up for you. But, you know, one of the things that you you readily admit, and I love your transparency, your take on transparency, I think that's crucial right now. You talked about the extra time that it takes for you to make sure that you're connecting with every family. And I've heard that from a lot of people. And I have to think that for you, that's got to be an investment um, in what's going to happen later on. Um, but but understanding that, yes, it is more time than maybe typically we would spend. Um, and finding the tool, uh, what was it called? Book? Bookings? Bookings, bookings yeah. through Microsoft. Our Office 365 has this application. It's Bookings. It's called Bookings. It has more of a business aspect to it. So we have to tweak the settings a bit. But essentially, they're able to make appointments with us. And I've made a Teams room. It's linked to the bookings. So they just click a couple of uh, links and they're in and they can see me Perfect. Which shows your availability. It gives them the agency to be able to set up a meeting and it really creates that FaceTime that they need. I think that's amazing. And, and you know, if you're not using Microsoft 360, then I'm sure that there's another tool for whatever you're using that would allow you to do that. It's just a matter of finding the right one. Yes. Google Calendar, I know, has exactly. a super, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, th- so that's one thing. And I appreciate you mentioning that. The other thing that you said a couple of times, you know, you, you, you said we need to meet students where they are. Um, and you said, you know, you, at this point in the school year, usually, you know, kind of who the students are, who have the most needs or who have needs in in different areas. And that kind of leads me to my next question, because typically at this time of the school year, we do have that knowledge and that knowledge is based on just getting to know students. It's based on data that already exists that may not exist this year, given the circumstances that we're under. Um, and so with that information, you're starting to sort of group students, you're starting to differentiate, which is particularly important for the wide spectrum of English learners that you guys serve there in Broward and that most districts serve as well. Have you been able to do that in the same way, given all the interruptions in March, maybe the lack of data that you might have, the remote learning? Are you able to kind of do that in the same way that you were to doing it before? I wish I could give you a yes and no, but it's I love your honesty. I just want to <laughs> say it like straight out, like people, te- I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have to say no. this. Like, <laughs> it, it, this is the kind of conversation where like, we really need to be honest with one another. And it doesn't mean that you're doing a bad job or that Broward doesn't have all the answers because nobody has all the answers. So please continue. Absolutely. So it, I have not been able to do it, it to my liking, to what I expect from myself as a teacher um, I have not been able to do it because if I am grouping students and I see that there's an issue with personality, that there's an issue with, oh, wait, I, I'm listening to, maybe I need to switch them over to a more advanced group because it's just that immediate feedback that you get in the classroom that we're not getting on this virtual plat- platform because a lot of students can't turn their computers on, won't turn their uh, cameras on. So it just becomes difficult for me to go and and act as needed. Uh, I will say it is possible. It is definitely possible. It just takes a lot more time on the front end of things and just a lot more organization. You mentioned data and it has definitely been a challenge for us. We, myself included, I go based off of access scores. And yes, we have assessments that we give in class. We have our formative assessments, but we depend on access to begin grouping. Access was released a little later this year than it was in the past years. But again, we do what we always do. We adapt and we continue and we do the best that we can. And that's what we've done this year. But even that, just having an understanding that we don't have the most updated data right now. We didn't at the beginning of the school year, but just 
it kind of forced us into this uncomfortable space of getting to know our students even quicker and just meeting them where they are a lot faster because we didn't have the data that we usually rely on in the years past. Now talking about small groups, um, I feel, and this is just my personal reflection, I have not been able to reach my new arrivals, my newcomers, as I usually would in a regular physical brick and mortar school year. Uh, that, that, that's for many different reasons. Being able to contact home, being able to have the student with me, show them places, introduce, physically introduce them to other students that speak their same language and just make those social connections that hasn't been there. I think that that needs to be established in order for them to perform their best in the classroom when we're talking about content related areas. First is their social emotional. Right now, if 2020 has taught us anything as teachers is that their social emotional needs have gone from a 50-50 social emotional to content. It's looking more like a 60-40 this yeah. year. Yeah, well, I appreciate your honesty and I can see the challenge in all of those things. Vicki, did you wanna jump in? Yeah, so, and I think, so we've now um, adapted, for lack of a better word, to how we've been teaching now since August, when our schools opened, August 19. And I think now when we return to this brick and mortar, it's almost like going to be starting over again, if you really think about it, that, you know, the kids that stay home are going to continue in this environment, but those that choose to come to the brick and mortar, and even the teachers, because now they have to learn how to balance students in front of them and students that remained at home, right? So that's going to be a challenge too, because even though these students are in the classroom with them, we still have to follow the CDC guidelines. It's not like, oh, okay, you're here. Let me pull you into a small group with me or get up from your desk and come here so I could grade your paper or give you feedback. So you have to follow the same distancing rules but knowing that you have these students physically in front of you while you're still trying to teach the ones that chose to stay home. So, you know, it, it's a hard time to be a teacher right now. We're throwing some hard curveballs. And what's, what makes it even harder is that nobody has the right answer because nobody, we've never as a, as a world experienced this. So there are no, let's look to see what research says is the right, to, the right yeah. way to do this, right? Um, we can only rely on our on our neighbors or other districts, which is why it's so awesome that you're doing series like this to listen to people that already started the school year um, and see how they're doing and how it's going. I mean, I don't know what other districts are doing it the way we're going to be doing it. How, you know, some are home and some are at school, but I'm sure somebody is. Um, and how has that worked? So it's it's been a lot. It's been a lot, and there's still more to come. And I, I will add, I, you just mentioned something that completely just skipped me. Um, when we're in class, a, a huge portion of being able to give that immediate feedback is seeing their faces and the reactions they have. They can tell you on, on, on the computer, they can say, yes, I, I understand. And they can click the right answer. But when you look at their face and you see that puzzled look, it just lets you know the directions weren't clear they're not following what you're saying. And that right now is a huge challenge for teachers because the ones that stay home are going to continue on that trend. And the ones that are in class, I can see, I can read their face and I can give them immediate feedback and I can meet, but it's, it's definitely a new challenge for us. 
So one of the things we wanted that we were talking about earlier is um, how many students are returning, right? So I know that Melissa shared the name of the course that she teaches, but Developmental Language Arts ESOL Reading Course in Broward County is used as a course for a newcomer or newly arrived students who are in the beginning stages of language acquisition. Instead of placing them in an intensive reading class, this is the course that they take where they can continue learning, not learning to read, but you know, reading and all the concepts that go with it. But at the same time, they are acquiring their language, right? And in addition, they still have their English class that they take in high school, but this is just that supplemental course for them to acquire language while continuing listening, speaking, reading, and writing skills. So uh, Melissa has a class of about 25. Mm -hmm. How many are, are choosing to come to the brick and mortar, Melissa? As of Friday, 12. So that's about half of her class is choosing to come back, which is great. Yes. Because if there's one thing I've done um, when we started discussing who should come back earlier in the year, you know, I was advocating, please bring our newly arrived students back. They, for them, it's just as important as an ESC student, right? Absolutely. Our newcomers need to get into our buildings. And I understand our ESC students have definitely uh, different needs than our language learners, but they also needed to come back. So, and this is evident, if, if half of our students are choosing to come back, they have a need to be in buildings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and this is all, this is all like, what, 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 you know, Vicki, you were saying other districts must be dealing with this or doing similar things. And what other districts definitely are dealing with and teachers, I think, across the country are dealing with is a bit of like an ironic twist. And that is that many people are more concerned about transitioning back into school than they are about continuing with remote learning. And maybe that's kind of like good news because people are getting, they're getting more proficient with remote learning, but the concern and the anxiety about going back to school um, in many cases sort of overshadows the anxiety that once existed about how are we going to do this remotely. Um, and so, Bliss, I'm going to go, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Do I have that right? Like, do you, are you feeling that or, or are you just so excited about even seeing some kids that it's, that it's just overshadowing it? It's a, it's a half and half for me. I am, I am beyond excited to meet my kids in person and to just teach a lesson and, and see their faces and their reactions. And it's, I, I cannot, and I will never, I know we're trying to mimic what happens in the classroom virtually, and I think we're doing an amazing job, but the beauty of teaching in person and learning in person, that is something that will never be able to be replicated online. Um, and just the rapport that you get to, just a teacher feeds off the energy of her kids, the kids feed off the energy of the teacher, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, so I'm very excited about that, but I would be lying if I said that I wasn't concerned for my health, my family's health, and the health of my students. I know we're following strict CDC guidelines, but anyone can be infected at any time. And it's just not having, I would never forgive myself if I give this to one of my students. And I would never forgive myself if I bring it home to my family. So that, as, as excited as I am to see my kids' faces and to teach them in person, I am equal parts scared for myself, for my family, for my students' health. I just thank you for what you're doing. I mean, and everybody it's, I don't think it gets enough attention. I really don't. Um, and the fact, you know, to be speaking with you both right before you're about to go back and, and take what is definitely a risk 
but to take that risk in a calculated way, knowing that that's what's best for your students is heroic. There's no, there's just no other word for it. So I appreciate that. Um, so I, I want to ask you another question that, that I, I mean, a lot of people that we speak with now are partners, uh, in the field are just so concerned about this idea of learning loss. Um, I'm curious, Melissa, if you've been able to identify any of that for your students and, and if so, what you've done to address it. And if not, you know, maybe what you, what, what you hope to do to kind of pinpoint where their areas are that they might be struggling due to this. This is something that I've, I've been con- like constantly talking with colleagues about. Since I am the literacy coach for Cooper City, I get to have part of my job is just to just have build these relationships with the teachers themselves surrounding our ELL students and how to better serve them, our striving reading population. It's just, it, it's a whole package. And so when we're talking about um, helping our students during this time and having those difficult conversations, part of what we've been doing is talking about learning loss. And the teachers have seen it. I've seen it. The students are extremely frustrated with the fact that they feel like they've lost a lot of their language ability. And I think step one and the most important step in this entire process is to acknowledge it. We talked about it. We talked about it week two of school, of online learning. I addressed their anxieties and their concerns. They were frustrated with the fact that, Miss, but I, and they would tell me, you know, they would type it, Google Translate, but they would communicate to me. I knew how to say this last year. I feel like I forgot so much of my English. And I validated that feeling for them, that frustration for them. 100% that's happened. Your exposure was gone. They, they were exposed to English in social settings and academic settings. They're going home now, and that's not the dominant language at home. Their TV that they're used to watching is not in English. It's, for the past six, seven months, it's been in their native language. So, of course, they're going to experience this learning loss. We're experiencing with our reading kids. We're experiencing it across the board. But it's especially frustrating when it's a language because that's their connection to their entire world in school. So acknowledging that has been a really important step because it validates them. And it kind of eases the frustration, just acknowledging the fact that your frustration is valid. This is why it's happening. Let's move forward. This is how we're going to take care of it. And I've strayed away from assumptions. I don't assume that they remember or they know. We're just going to hit everything like day one. And if I see that we've caught it, we got it, we're going to fly. And if I see that we're... We're, we're, we're struggling a bit. I don't assume anything. It's day one. Boy, I really love the idea of validating it and acknowledging it. And I really appreciate you bringing it up at the level of the student, because when I ask that question, most people are addressing it from the perspective of their role as a teacher or an administrator. But to understand, and I think it's important for people who are listening or watching to understand that and I'm sure most people do if they're working with English learners, that the level of frustration that these students are feeling because of their language loss is is really, really high and understandably so. And, you know, we talk a lot about social emotional learning and building relationships. Well, without that key of language uh, and other supports, it's really difficult to do those things. And so um, Acknowledging it and validating it is, is important and knowing that, yes, it, 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 is, it is happening and it has happened. 
Um, so thanks for that. Uh, again, that honest answer. Um, all right. What, one other thing that we've talked about uh, a lot in this series is as PD. We've talked about professional development quite a bit um, and how it can help sort of overcome some of the challenges that we're facing. Um, and, you know, overall, I think most the people that we speak with who are generally uh, EL directors or ESOL directors like Vicky or even superintendents or assistant superintendents are saying that, you know, the, the professional learning that we're providing has been high quality. The feedback's been good. It's really helped. Um, you know, I, I, I really would like to get your perspective on that. Um, how have the PD opportunities um, that you've experienced really between now and say March, or is, I guess in particular in the summertime, how have they helped you better serve the English learners that you're working with? Um, for one, they've made me more comfortable with the resources available. They've shown me resources that I didn't even know existed. For example, um, one of the ESOL professional developments, I think it was ESOL Bridging Language and Literacy, where they just showed us a plethora of resources that teachers, anyone could use to better serve English, not only English language learners, these things, yes, they serve our English language learning community, but they fall within the universal design of learning. It's going to help all of your learners. That's an important so, point. Good instruction exactly. for English learners is generally good instruction for all students. I say it exactly. all the time. And oftentimes we as teachers, we don't have a name for what we do. And then yeah, when, we I can see, relate. when we see it in a, in a PD and when we see it organized in a different way, we go, wait a minute, I've been doing that. That seems like a better way. And then you adapt and you, you make it your own. And I think that the PDs since March up until the beginning of the school year were amazing. I mean, I, I, they've required, I can't even begin to imagine the level of organization and, and, and preparation that they've required from the people delivering these professional developments, but they've eased my anxieties as a teacher to feel comfortable enough to use resources I've never used before and to kind of come out of my comfort zone because now I know what it looks like, now I know what it can do, and now I have someone that's showing me how to real time, how to use it, is using it with me. And it's just, it's been, it's been extremely important for me to feel comfortable using these resources with the students, not only as a teacher, but as a literacy coach, I can now go back and share all of these resources, all of this new knowledge with all of my teachers. And now they're using it with their students. So we have this kind of crazy ripple effect when professional development is as useful as it is, it has an insane ripple effect on the rest of the student population and the teacher population. So I can definitely say that that, that bridging language and literacy, and I think there was a webinar um, for, for helping uh, English language learners remotely. That one was, I mean, and Canvas Studio, I mean, I can go on and on. I, Canvas Studio, using Canvas Studio, again, the whole UDL idea, it's just, it's been amazing. Nothing short of amazing. Well, Vicky, we didn't rehearse that, um, but I, I would love to hear, <laughs> I would love to hear you. That must make you feel good, particularly the part about the, uh, the, yeah, the, yeah, the I, ripple effect. The that I have an amazing team that is doing remarkable things. Um, and have discovered all kinds of crazy stuff on how to meet the needs of our L's and all students. Um, as a district, our innovative learning department, which is one that does our, all of our uh, digital content, uh, they have been doing an enormous amount of training since March. Uh, back in March, we were just starting with the basics of Canvas, right? Because even though we were using Canvas, not every teacher was on there 100%. So, consistent webinars, 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 and they're all recorded. 
They're all sitting in a library. So if you just got hired yesterday and you didn't get all that stuff way back then, you can go back and watch everything that's housed in the library. That every week our innovative learning puts out a schedule, puts out a blast of a schedule of everything they're offering from eight in the morning all the way till six in the evening so that those fam those teachers that can't during the day because they're teaching and have to do dinner and stuff like that, they can log in as late as six o'clock at night to go live on some of these webinars and they are then recorded and housed as part of the library. My department has done something similar but more with that ELL focus, right? So how to use Google Translate, how to use Immersive Reader, how to use Nearpod Lessons, um, how to work with Slice or Slice as a kids, if you have some Slice kids, how to meet those social emotional needs of the students. Um, that's the type of work my team has been doing. So every department, honestly, like Melissa says, it's, and I said earlier, it's new to all of us. It's not like, oh, those of us at the district or outside of the classroom, we know what we're doing. We're just going to create all these webinars and teach teachers. We're teaching ourselves to then be able to turn around and teach our teachers. So that learning side, it's that whole you do, I do, we do type of thing, <laughs> you know, just bringing it all together and, and um, practicing. And, you know, uh, Melissa has been kind enough to invite us into her classroom and watch her with some of the students. And it's just so impressive. Uh, to see what our teachers are being able to do during this time. It's really nice to hear the the full spectrum there of, you know, the from the team, the leadership team that's rolling this stuff out to the, then I'll quote Melissa, the ripple effect um, that it's having among others. That's, that's really great to hear. And I get the impression from Melissa, the little time that I've known her, that if it wasn't working out, she would probably tell us. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> Uh, oh, good. I I wanted I I had that impression. Um, okay, so listen, I'm going to get ask you some more kind of general questions now to kind of try to elicit whatever response you might be feeling about them. What's been the biggest surprise that you've experienced as a teacher during this really unique back to school season? Um, coach, I should say, literacy coach. But. The biggest surprise would be so I know we're all kind of disconnect, we're always connected in this virtual sense, but just this overwhelming feeling of togetherness, if that makes sense, and I hope I'm articulating this um, correctly, but I've been able to connect with my kids. My biggest fear was I, I wasn't going to be able to connect with my kids as I've been, I wasn't able to connect with my new teachers. I, just having that sense of that space of togetherness, I didn't think that that was going to be possible going into this e-learning phase. But if there's anything that I walked away with this year, it's possible. At this point, anything is possible because I have been able to establish just these relationships with my teachers, with my families, with my students that I would even say they're, they're more candid and, and, and they're able to be themselves more in this kind of flip grid. The flip grids I'm getting now, it, it's, it, it, teachers using elevation the hashtags because we're all virtual and I mean it's it's been such a beautiful collaborative space within the 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 anxious um feelings going on but it's been such a beautiful yeah. collaborative space and establishing those relationships I didn't think that was possible that was a huge surprise for me and just that's that's honestly what's been keeping me going 
Well, that's good. I mean, that's an affordance, you know, and I don't know, I don't, I'm not going to try to dive into the reasons why that's happening. Although I imagine with Flipgrid, some of those things you're getting from your students, maybe they're just more, maybe they're like comfortable at home, you know, they have time to do it. They're not under the pressure. That doesn't mean they're all motivated to do high quality work at all times, but um, that's one of the affordances, I guess. Yeah. What do you, um, what do you feel needs the most attention right now? I feel like my whole day, my whole week, I sound like a broken record, but attending to their social emotional needs has to be at the forefront now. And just keeping in mind that our students walked off of our campus in March and the world right now, today in October, 2020 looks completely different. It feels completely different. Um, they walk outside their door, they turn on the news, that everything is different. And we need to acknowledge that they're, there's different out there right now. We need to acknowledge their frustrations. We need to acknowledge their anxieties. We need to address them, make them feel validated. So then we can continue to teach them because if we pretend like nothing's going on and everything is fine and dandy, that's not going to serve them any good. So step one, let's, let's acknowledge, let's validate, let's take care of anything that needs to be taken care of at the human level. (laughs) Um, we, we're all familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs right now. The, the, the first, the fundamental, um, it's not being met. So establishing that, making them feel safe, making them feel uh, heard, making them feel seen. That's number one this year. It's always been at the forefront and that's why I love working in Broward and social emotional needs have always been something that's just been talked about, addressed and put into practice. But this year, more than ever, we need to make sure that it's a priority. And I would say that that's true even of our adults in the building, right? Um, our teachers, I've seen people posting pictures on Twitter, on social media, um, as teachers are slowly returning to their classrooms. You know, when we left on Friday, March 13, um, when teachers left at the end of the day, the message had, the decision had not been made yet that we were going to return or not return on March 16th. Right. So everybody left on Friday thinking, well, we're coming back on Monday. Simple as that. And we didn't. So I've seen pictures on social media where teachers are walking into their classrooms and the, you know, the, the whiteboard still say Friday, March 13, papers are still on desk the way that they were left. So it's, it's a little eerie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like you're living something out of a movie scene, right? And and it is, it's hard. It's hard because those kids you left at that moment, students' items are still in the classroom in some cases. So we can't forget that we have to address everybody's social emotional needs, not just our students, the adults in the building as well. Because these are the teachers, we don't meet their needs, it will transfer to those students, yep. right? So, um, and, I, and you know, like Melissa is being very transparent, I will be too. We have teachers that don't want to come back and they, they are very vocal about not wanting to come back. Um, and, and that goes into our students. Students feel that, right? So there's a lot of that that still has to be, you know, worked through. Um, as a state that has 67 counties, uh, Miami-Dade and Broward were the last two districts that had not opened. Of course, we are also the two top or two largest districts in the state of Florida who have had 
a lot of the COVID cases, right? We are like the, what is it, the gateway, the international gateway. And there's just so much going on down here. So Miami-Dade, I know, opened this week Mm -hmm. um, as well. But tensions are high. Tensions are high. Emotions are high. Um, And so we just need to be collective and, and like Melissa keeps saying, mindful and really pull ourselves together for the needs of our students. Yeah, absolutely. And perhaps not surprisingly at all, I sent a poll out in our last community brief on the weekly email that we send out to folks with resources. And the first question in the poll was, how would you describe your current social emotional state? And that was directed toward teachers and administrators like you. And I know it's not surprising, but seeing, like I'm looking at the graph right now, that 84.6% of people responded worse than a regular school year. It's not surprising, but seeing it on paper is like, wow. Like we, that has to be dealt, that has to be dealt with, that has to be handled. And I think, you know, the one, one of the main problems with really good teachers and, um, you know, is that they don't take care of themselves sometimes because they're so concerned with others, like good parents, you know, but you can't, it's just, it, it, it may, may last a while, but sooner or later it'll catch up with you. So I'm really glad Vicky as a school leader, a district leader, um, that you're bringing that up because it's so important. Yeah, you, I mean, I, you can't pour from an empty cup, and I am, I am guilty of the overwork and borderline burning out. I feel right now where my uh, level is of stress and anxiety and just work. This is how I typically feel in March, and 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 yep. that's that's the truth for for a lot of teachers out there. And it's just really conserving yourself and avoiding the burnout because if we burn out, then we're no good for our kids. Right. Well, our teachers never stopped. If no. you really think about it, you know, school may have ended in June, but teachers had to continue learning and had to continue preparing for the fall and not even knowing how we were going to come back in the fall because every day is a new day. Every week is a new week or there's a new change. So the majority of our teachers spent all summer on their own dime taking courses, taking webinars, you know, just learning the ropes to prepare for what the new school year was going to look like. So that's why I said earlier, you know, we're just getting the hang of things and now we're throwing this curveball of, okay, now it's phase two e-learning. Some kids are in person, some kids are at home. So not, not the same thing again, because I really believe, like Melissa says, our kids need to get back into our buildings. Some students are thriving at home, but that's not true for every child, right? Um, but now we have to relearn something new again. So, it, 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 like I said, next time, <laughs> <laughs> we may have four stories to share, right? Um, but we'll see. We see how this goes. Well, speaking of stories, I have one more question. Um, and I, Melissa, I asked this question to to some folks in I think the first interview that we did. Um, and that is, I'd love for you to share a quick anecdote or story that might illustrate some of the challenges or triumphs that you're that you're facing or that you've faced during this this time. Um, do you have one or, or two you could share with us quickly? I have two that are just so present in my mind. So one of them is a challenge. It's just it just highlights all our areas of, of work. Uh, I know that the district does provide interpreters, but I, I do have 
uh, problems establishing uh, scheduling meetings with parents. So I can, there are some uh, families that I need to get them when I can get them and, and talk to them when I can. And I don't always have a native speaker that can translate for those meetings. So it's been very difficult for a couple of my um, students for me to even get to know them. Yes, we can use Microsoft, uh, the PowerPoint 360 trends. We can use all the technology, but it's just getting a hold of them and their families and being able to communicate. It's been so much more difficult um, in this climate. The good news is they're still there and they're trying and they're they're. But I know it would be different had this been another school year, not 2020. Now, yeah, getting the right message at the right time, right? Exactly, and and just even the process, how how fast things move or how long things take versus before I could just walk down to guidance and I can. It, it was just such a different process. So that's definitely a challenge. Now a triumph. I had, um, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about the, uh, the ESO program. And it definitely had to do with that. I had a family email me, let me know that they did not want their child to be seen as less than on um, college applications. So they wanted to be removed from the ESO program. Beautiful. Opened that line of communication, explained and educated the parent on what the ESO program actually was. And now... As a result, this student has a standing appointment with me in the ELL lab every single week. We have a check-in. The family comes on camera, says hello, and it just opened up this entire like wave of communication because now the student, I've connected the student with other students that speak the same native language and their families have connected. And again, we're talking about ripple effects. That was a huge ripple effect. So now we have one family one cluster of, of people that were educated and just clarity was brought to them. And now it just had a ripple effect. And that, that for me this year has been the biggest triumph. Yeah. And that resulted in communication that actually probably could have gone the other way had you not handled it the right way. But a lot of times when you make these connections with families, it's because they have an issue that they want to resolve. And it's the way that you handle that issue. And with some goodwill and some understanding and some education, you create that kind of ripple effect, which we've, mentioned a couple of times today, and that's really nice to hear. Um, well, I've taken a lot of your time today, both of you, and I know that you're extremely busy, perhaps more so this week than any other, given everything that we've just talked about. So I just want to express my gratitude, um, admiration, um, and profound respect for what you, you all are doing in Broward. And Melissa, thank you so much for giving us the perspective um, from what's going on in the field. It's been really helpful, and it's just been wonderful talking with you both. So thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to just be heard. And that means a lot to me. And I know a lot of my colleagues as well. So thank you.